0: The Holy Gospel, according to St Luke, the fourth chapter. Glory then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all the synagogue uh, were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Gospel of the Lord.
1: We've already had a little bit of what some people call church aerobics with standing up, sitting down, all that kind of stuff, but I want to begin today with a little bit of an exercise on your part. I want you to think about what you would say if someone asked you, "Who are you?" In other words, what's your identity? What centers you? Think about that for just a moment. And I'm going to get out my stopwatch here. And what I'm going to do is um, I want you to share that with, as you're comfortable, share that with somebody around you. And uh, if that seems worse than pulling out all of your teeth without anesthesia, then just reflect yourself. That's fine. And respect those who don't want to partner up. But for those who are willing, just take some, a moment and share with someone around you. And it doesn't have to be right around you. You can get up and move a little bit. Make sure you introduce yourself clearly, even if you think the person knows you and knows your name, among other things that can help those who don't hear so well or see so well to make sure they know who you are. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to set my timer for 20 seconds for you to find somebody, then I'm going to call out to start, and it'll be 30 seconds per person to do that. Does that make sense? Okay, go. 20 seconds. Let that first person begin to share if they haven't already. switch with the other person if you haven't yet. All right, I'm going to invite you back up here. <laughs> now, I would, um, I would love to hear all of what you shared. That might take a little bit of time, I suppose, if we went around to everyone. But I wonder how many of you thought of this question um, as one that doesn't come up very often. Or if it does it probably surrounds kind of uh, a difficult situation. We don't often think about maybe who we are without some kind of change or stress that affects that or challenges that. Who am I if my spouse dies or if my parents divorce or if I lose my job or if my friend rejects me or if I don't ace my finals this week or if If my kids don't all turn out like I hoped they would. For God's people in the book of Nehemiah, their identity has been stolen. Not like we think of today like a credit card or something like that. It's actually something much bigger. Because over many years, they have finally started to return to Jerusalem from being exiled, from being taken away from their home and their land and their temple and made to live in a foreign land for two generations or more. And when they return, they return to destruction and and to rubble. And they try to begin to rebuild by, by putting a wall around their city as sort of the first step. But they struggle along the way with land squabbles inside the city and in the surrounding countryside, There are those who were left behind, those who kind of were squatters on that land, and then as people return, they say, but no, this is my ancestral land. So there is infighting within the nation, and they are threatened constantly by attack from outside uh, nations and tribes as they try to rebuild their city and their identity. That identity was so much tied up in this land and, and in the temple that is now destroyed, And all of that identity is under enormous pressure and under enormous stress. Who are they? What is their identity? That question lingers as the people gather at the water gate to spend the next six hours listening to the reading of the Torah read by Ezra, the priest and Levite and and others who are there. It seems that they took breaks along the way to kind of explain what was being said and explaining the readings to the people. But from early morning until about noon, they are basically subject to a six-hour sermon. No wonder there is weeping. (laughs) But truthfully, really, the weeping comes from, from this kind of overwhelming realization as they hear the, the law and the stories and the promises as they, as they realize how far they have, have strayed and how far they had in the past strayed from God and how casually they had, they had taken God's promises and how casually they were taking God's promises, how deserving they were of that exile and how they can see all of this destruction as, as being kind of a natural consequence of turning away from God. They cry out with regret and with shame and with deep, deep remorse. And if God's endgame was to punish the people, if God is just an, an angry father waiting to pounce on the people, this would have been where their sorrow would have been multiplied. But that isn't the point of God's law. It isn't even the point of God's judgment. Rather, ultimately, the point of God's law is to give a new start and new life for the people God loves. In the perspective, in the, in the realization of all the ways they had left things, or they had done things and left things undone. They reach that, that point, as we often talk about, where they are, they are, they are pushed to a, to a point of having a new perspective. And God injects into that moment Promises of hope and of new life. And so the leaders insist that they do not mourn, but but that they celebrate. A new day is dawning as the scripture says, now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Because we understand our unfaithfulness and shortcomings, we can move forward with hope. That message is made more beautiful, I think, by the fact that, that in the midst of losing everything... The remembrance of God's promises binds the people together. Their identity is, is now woven into the promises of God. It's not into the land necessarily. It's not into the temple necessarily. But it's, but it's these promises which are, are more precious to them now than anything they could have lost along the way. And while the Torah carries the laws of God, it doesn't carry the laws of God in some sort of sterile or static white tower, you know, ivory tower somewhere off in the distance. It carries those, pro- those laws through the, the stories of God's faithfulness to the people, stories of restoration. And with a 97% or so illiteracy rate among the, God's people, it was a precious gift for them to hear these stories these promises. And I love the conclusion that the, that the people are to celebrate in such a way that no one is left out. In fact, even the writing here that 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 the law is read to the men and to the women, usually we just get in Hebrew that word for men, which which kind of is like mankind to a certain extent, it is inclusive of all but they actually specifically named that the men and the women and all who could understand were there, even the children who could perceive in some way the power of these promises. And as they come together, they're they're told to celebrate, to, to drink the sweet wine and eat the rich foods, the rich meats, and to make sure that everyone has a portion, that no one is left out, even if they don't have the means to provide for themselves. Community. Connection, promise brings identity. And out of that, out of that identity from the promises that God gives as a free gift, inclusion of all. This scene reminded me of of something that my wife does to remind us as a family of of who we are. I've heard her say to our kids at at, at times, with oftentimes a, a sort of a pointed glance at her wayward husband as well, Sands guards are kind. Or Sands guards are forgiving. Or Sands guards are compassionate. Now make no mistake, this is the law, right? <laughs> As a wild shoot might spring up in a, in a child, the wife knife comes out and, and gets to pruning, to lopping that shoot off. There is no room in our identity for this wayward path and these kind of extreme examples. But it is lopped off out of of, uh, tapping into our identity and tapping into our history. It's, It's always intended to give life. Not to conform for conformity's sake or to control every single aspect, but with purpose for a future with hope. That's how God's law works. That's the gift it is. And and if you have ever had an overwhelming sense of forgiveness in the face of something you've, you've done or failed to do, or you've had an overwhelming presence in the face of a loss or what seems like a dark tunnel with no light at the end, if you've had an experience that lifts a weight, that connects you to God and to others and gives you hope for the future, then you have a sense at what happened so long ago that day, that beautiful fall day, a celebration of harvest, what happened at that water gate in Jerusalem. A promise to unify those whose identity has been stripped away. A promise that whispers from the past but, but impacts us even now. That is made so abundantly clear as as Jesus stands up in the synagogue of his hometown. He reads words of promise, promise not from the Torah specifically, but now from the the book of the prophets, specifically Isaiah. And as he rolls up the scroll, he places that promise, that identity, that hope, in and on himself. And if we unpack what he says at the end of that, it goes something like this. Today, this, crypt, this scripture has come to the point of being fulfilled and will continue to be fulfilled into the future. You see, this word that identifies us as one people in Christ Jesus isn't for a select few, and it, and it isn't for those nice people in Nazareth back in that day or, or at the Watergate for those people back hundreds of years before Jesus. This is an identity, and and these are promises that are as much for us as for anyone else in history. And here's the good news. We get to practice, and we get to live out these promises so that Jesus' sermon doesn't end at two seconds or at the Watergate six hours, but that it continues to be realized in our lives, to be lived out, that we walk into and out of this place as a prayer as a sermon of promise for, those, for ourselves and for those around us. In other words, we are invited into this promise, into this fold, not, not so that we can just bask in it, but so we understand our task in continuing to preach it in our everyday lives. I like to say it this way, the, the law corrects our apathy so we might be connected as family. The law corrects our apathy so that we might be connected as family. By far the best pre-service event I think we ever had before a national youth gathering. I think I've been to four of them now. The best kind of pre-event service that we had was was in Detroit, in my mind, and I think a lot of the youth would agree with me. And I can tell you what we did was hardly hardly earth-shattering. All we really did was drive around in a couple of vans. One of them hooked up to this trailer with a couple of sort of homemade barrel barbecues on the back of it. We just went around in that and we cooked simple food for people who were in need. Hot dogs, hamburgers, I think chicken was the fanciest thing we did. But it wasn't what we did that mattered. The service was powerful because we we had this understanding through this service of who we understood ourselves to be and how we understood those whom we served. Let me tell you a story to give you a sense of that. Our, our host, this really gracious owner of the van and the, and the barbecues, said to us at one point as we were preparing to go, He said, The food here is not the end game, it's, it's just a vehicle for us to make contact. All kinds of people offer food on the, on the corner we were going to, this kind of desolate place in Detroit. He said all kinds of people offer that. And indeed, when we were finishing up, there was another church coming in. But he said, as we, we, but he said we eat together so that we can hear stories and play games and make a connection. He was the only one I ever saw who brought things like cornhole and other games, uh, not just the food, because it wasn't just about the food. The food was just the vehicle to be connected. And I remember vividly how I saw this guy. He was, he was up and he was working on the grill, and he was also, by the way, once homeless and an addict himself. I saw him turn away from the grill that he was working on, and tears kind of fill his eyes. I asked him, I said, can I take over? It looks like the smoke's really getting to you. And he shook his head and he looked at me and he said, it isn't the smoke, it's the laughter. He was crying tears of joy as he saw something he could only describe as God's kingdom being lived out, recovery of sight to the blind, release of those who were bound, and I don't know about a year, but at least a few moments where God's God's favor, the Lord's favor, was as palpable and as real as that smoke. May it be so today, indeed, as we share the sweet wine and rich meat of warm clothes and personal care items that you've donated for our brothers and sisters in Seattle. Because we carry this sermon of Jesus into our hometown, into our neighborhood, physically and even, and even digitally now in this age, refusing to let the message of hope be something that is a thing of the past, refusing to let the life of Jesus be some historical event or, or some social club we belong to, but rather a living message of hope and release and love and grace right now, right here, Now. Matt Skinner from Luther Seminary says that in Jesus' sermon, he calls all things that might inhibit our flourishing or might enslave us or others as marked for destruction. Isn't that a beautiful image and promise that we we carry to a world in great need? A country in peril because of all of its divisions within and a wider church that sometimes is more attentive to managing the God corporation or figuring who's in and who's out than just simply following Jesus and sharing the promise. A culture desperately looking for grounding, desperately looking for identity and connection, desperately in need of a promise from someone who can actually fulfill that promise of hope and a future. We carry something together as people of God, deeply rooted and identified as children of Christ Jesus, or of God in Christ Jesus. We carry a privilege and a promise and a hope for us and for all. Amen.